0: Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says, For this cause. Now, for what cause? Because of what? Well, several verses from now, he's going to start praying. It almost seems like, now, for this is why I'm praying, but before he gets to that, he has like this intermission. Let me tell you some more stuff. Um, and I don't know if you have anybody like that that just keeps talking and has more to say about something. Um, I'm not like that at all. Um. Some <laughs> yeah, of you realize it was bad. Um Uh, Not only that, because of chapter 2, he says, for this cause, it's in light of what he has already said in chapter 2. So I strongly encourage, if you didn't hear both of uh, Pastor Larry's sermons from chapter 2 of Ephesians, I encourage you to go online uh, and to listen uh, to those, especially part 2 really ties in uh, to chapter 3 of that. So if you haven't heard that, not right now, but later, you, you can go to our website, Um, and go to our sermon page and click on the Ephesians series right on top and you can listen to all the sermons that are on there. We have video and we have audio on there through um, our podcast of the sermons as well. But even if it's not for that, just so you know, those resources are there. Our sermons are recorded. They're online video and audio. Um, Or you can just subscribe on the podcast. Um, I think if you go on to Apple Podcasts and type in Cross Point Davenport, that It'll, you'll see the logo, and then it'll pop up for you guys. If you didn't know that we have that, so be sure to subscribe. Leave five stars. Unless you don't want to leave five stars, then just don't leave anything. Then that'll be that'd be great. I can encourage you to leave one star. Yeah, amen. First one for this cause. I guess I better get to the text now. At this point, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. And he talks about being a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and I think we've talked a little bit about this before, but he uses this phrase uh, for a couple reasons. One of those being is that he really is a prisoner. He's been a prisoner for like five years at this point, in a couple different locations, but I've been a prisoner for five years at this point. But he calls himself a prisoner. He's also in other passages and other letters, referred to himself as a servant or a slave of Jesus Christ. It's really strong terminology. And there's a couple of different things that we can apply and understand about this. The simple understanding is that he's saying God is in control, not my captors, not those that have imprisoned me. They think they're in control. They think that, how oh, we're going to stop Paul, and God's actually using his imprisonment to spread the gospel. <laughs> they think they're stopping it. And so Paul has this confidence, you might think that I'm your prisoner, or I'm the prisoner of Rome. No, I'm not. I'm the prisoner of Jesus. He is in control. But I think another application that we have here is the fact that because he talks about often how he's a prisoner of Jesus, a, a slave of Jesus, a servant by Jesus. Another phrase we could use is that he's been captured by Jesus. And if you know anything about Paul and his journey and who he was, and we'll talk a little bit about that later in this message, is that he was going this way and then God intervened in his life and he met Jesus and completely turned him around. Jesus captured his heart. And if you know anything about Paul, and the letters that he's written, it's clear that all that matters to Paul is Jesus. All that he cares about is Jesus. He is obsessed with Jesus because Jesus has captured his heart. And I know if you're in here this morning and you are a believer, it's because at one point in your life... You came in contact with Jesus, and he captured your heart. You turned away and put your full, complete trust in Jesus. But I know that we're humans. We live in this world. We live in this life. And sometimes we can become what Revelation calls lukewarm. That thought terrifies me because the, the Bible does not speak very good things about being lukewarm. Um, something terrifying of thinking of being the spit in God's mouth. It's not a pleasant thought. But the reality is, if we've been captured by Jesus, he's redeemed us. Sometimes we can become lukewarm. We can become kind of, well, whatever. It's just that Jesus thing. And maybe something else has captured our heart. We can't spend too much time here, but it'll all kind of tie back around in the message today. But I don't know about you. I know about me is that I want to be just so amazed and captured by Jesus. I don't want anything else. Because he's captured my heart. Because whatever's captured our heart, that's what we worship. You wouldn't have to coerce me to tell people about Jesus because I'm obsessed with him. You wouldn't have to convince me to come and gather with the church family because I'm obsessed with Jesus and everyone else who loves Jesus too. If I'm I'm truly captured by Jesus, then I will want him don't want to pursue him desperately if he's truly captured my heart. Um, I thought about this. I meant to mention this in the first service. Um, uh, uh, me and Travis Snum, we work out together at the Y and we were working out this week and we saw some guy that was doing some squats and he was working out and um, um, he had a shirt on and Travis noticed the shirt and looked like he, he competed before in the weightlifting. And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, his his PR is like 450 on the squat. By the way, that's a lot of weight on a squat, 450. I mean, not as heavy as, you know, John, but, you know, uh, so, <laughs> uh, 450 in the squat. And he's like, yeah, I'm just here to maintain now. I'm, just, I'm not competing anymore. And he's over there and he keeps adding plates on and he keeps adding plates on. And he, keeps, like, he just keeps looking over like he's still putting weights on over there. And then he gets up to 405 on there. just jump. <laughs> Come. We're all like, do you see that? <laughs> he just squatted 405 like it was nothing. just like it was just the normal day maintaining which I could maintain. <laughs> but the reason I bring that up is that in that moment we were enamored with what he was able to accomplish with the weights. We were captured at that moment and rightfully so because that's really impressive. I think it was either the next day or the day after, I told John about it because, like, man, this guy at the gym, at the Y, he was squatting 405. Then I told somebody else about it. I just happened to mention, hey, you see this guy at the gym? I think, I, oh, but Travis, when I worked out yesterday, we didn't get, or Friday, we didn't work out together. There was someone there that we've worked out with before. And I'm like, there was this guy here doing 405 because I was captured by the moment of this guy doing this incredible squat right there in front of me. No one had to coerce me or get me to to say anything about this person. I wanted to because I was impressed with what he had accomplished. And if Jesus has captured our heart, no one has to convince us to pursue Jesus. No one has to convince us, or please follow Jesus, please do, like no, if you know Jesus, you're running for him, you're pursuing him because he's captured all your attention and all your wants and all your desires, captured by Jesus. So, once again, Paul refers to himself as Jesus' slave, Jesus' prisoner. He is captured by Jesus for God's glory and for the spread of the gospel. He says this in verse 2, If ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word. Now, this phrase, of the dispensation, it comes from this Greek word called Oconomia. What does that kind of sound like? Oconomia Well, economy, because it's where the word comes from, um, you have, it's referring to an administration of economy or administration specifically of a religious or spiritual economy. Let me explain that better. It's like the management of a household, um, the oversight of a property. It's stewardship. So a manager, an overseer, a steward. And so here it's saying, if you've heard of the stewardship of the grace of God, which is given me to you, or to say, to your benefit. See, Paul understood that he is nobody. He understood who he was before Jesus. That it's just the grace of God that he is who he is. And not only has by God's grace he rescued him, but now he wants him to be a steward of God's grace. He wants him to share what's been given. And the reality is, each one of you who is a believer this morning, you are a steward of God's grace. We're, yes, absolutely, are we supposed to enjoy God's grace and the riches of Christ? Absolutely, we're supposed to enjoy Jesus. We're also stewards of that grace that we are supposed to share, that we are accountable and responsible to share to the world. It says in 1 Corinthians 4.1, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We are stewards of the grace of God. See, Paul understood that it wasn't anything of himself that he had to offer. He's not like, you know, hey, I have something to offer you. No, he has nothing to offer. He is nothing without Jesus. He's nothing without God's grace. But what he has to share comes from God. He says in verse 3, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words. We'll pause here for a moment. He's telling them, hey you guys know my story, how God gave his grace to me. Many of you probably know the story about me on the Damascus Road. And of course you guys know about the mystery I'm talking about, the mystery of Jew and Gentile and the promise of Christ to both. Once again, Pastor Larry explained that really well uh, in the the previous chapter. Uh, Verse 6 of this chapter uh, talks about that mystery as well. It says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs in the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, which is it doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter what country you come from, what class that you have. What matters is that we're one in Christ. We're one in him, and the gospel is for everyone. But he said, hey, you guys know about me. You know my story. You know that I have nothing, that who I am now is by the grace of God. Um, Paul said this in Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 16. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which is preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me that I might preach Him among the heathen. It's like, hey, you know my story. I have nothing to offer here. I was on the road to Damascus. I was killing Christians. I was going house to house and trying to find where the Christians are at. I was trying to end Christianity. And He was doing it in the name of God. Paul was a very evil, evil man. And yet God chose to redeem him for his glory and for the spread of the gospel. They know his story. They know where he comes from. He goes on to say, even in light of this Galatians passage, verse 5, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. But Paul is saying, this is God's message. It's not mine. I was on the road. Jesus interceded in my life. His grace came upon me. This message of who Jesus is, I didn't come up with it myself. Paul wasn't sitting in his living room one day saying, you know what, I'm going to stop killing Christians and go telling them that Jesus is the king now. Sounds like a good idea to me. I'm, not gonna, I'm probably going to lose everything, but who cares? I'm just going to switch it up. <gasps> That's not what happened. He wouldn't do that. They'd be foolish if he was right. What happened was he found out by the power of the Holy Spirit who Jesus really was and who he was in light of him. And the message that he now wanted to share, God's message, not his own was a much better message than what he had before. And so he's reassuring the Ephesians here, hey, this isn't my message. This is God's message. I'm not here to tell you anything about me. I'm here to tell you about Jesus. I have nothing to offer you in and of myself. I am a murdering fool that's been saved by the grace of God. All I have to give you is God's message. And we must be very careful that we are giving God's message and not our message. We get consumed with a lot of messages and a lot of things and a lot of ideas, but we better make sure that we're delivering God's message, not our own. And be careful as I, I, I read commentaries, I listen to sermons, I listen to guys on YouTube, I listen to a lot of theologians and a lot of you. I read a lot of books, and that's all really helpful and really good. But make sure that what they're saying is God's message and not their own. How do you do that? Well, thankfully, we have one of these. It's called a Bible. And if their message doesn't line up with Scripture, we know that it's their message and not God's message. And we better be careful here at Crosspoint that we are speaking God's message, not mine. As I am preaching this message this morning... You should test it against Scripture because I want to make sure I'm preaching God's message, not my own message. Because my opinion—ready for this? My opinion doesn't matter. I know. There is social media, Twitter, Facebook. Everyone's supposed to have an opinion, right? Have they, have they said anything yet? I need to know so-and-so's opinion. Want, everybody wants to know my opinion. <laughs> no, no they, nobody wants to know your opinion. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Your opinion doesn't matter. God's word matters. God's message matters. God's opinion matters. We've got to make sure we're delivering God's message, not our own message. Verse 6 that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Wherefore I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. In verse 7, he uses this word minister, which can also be a word to understand. It actually would now be understood as a servant or, or, or a slave or someone who serves tables. So in the same passage, he's saying, I'm a prisoner of Jesus. I am a servant of Jesus. I have nothing to offer you. It's like, understand this, like if you're a server at a restaurant, you're not the one making the food. You're just delivering it to the table. Paul has nothing to offer. God has everything to offer. He's just delivering the message. He's just that servant. He's just that minister. And he understands this, that that, that this opportunity to serve God, to be a minister of God, to be a minister of the gospel, is a gift from God. It's not because he has it all figured out. It's not because he has a Bible college degree or a seminary degree. Oh, he better listen to Paul. He's friends with the apostles. <laughs> no. The only way he was able to minister was because it was a gift from God. God. The grace that he's able to share with people is because it was a gift from God. He had nothing to offer. And we must understand, as we are telling people about Jesus and proclaiming his name to our neighbors in the nations, it's a gift to be able to do that. It's not because we have some incredible talents and we're just really amazing and, you know. know. Some people start thinking, I'm God's greatest gift to mankind. No. You're nothing without God's gift. See, Paul goes on to say this, that he is the least of all the saints. And this is not like a cliche, look at me, I'm humble. Trust me, I'm the worst Christian. It wouldn't sound very humble. Trust me, I'm the worst. But the reality is, that was probably a pretty true statement. (laughs) What other Christian at that time, their past was rounding up Christians house to house to kill them. Now, I know it's almost Halloween time. Don't raise your hand if you've done something criminal, because I'll have to report it. How many of you have gone house to house rounding up Christians to go kill them? I wasn't raising my hand, by the way. I was, what have I done? So <laughs> what happens when we're on live stream. Um, house to house to kill Christians. That's pretty bad. That's evil. That's wicked. He's saying, I'm unworthy to serve him. He's given me a gift to be able to serve him. It is a gift to be able to serve God. It's by his grace I'm able to serve him and to be a steward of his grace. I am empty. I am nothing but a murderer and a fool. Yet God, knowing that I'm unworthy, still chooses to use me. And so, There's two things you have to be very careful of. Make sure you're not patting yourself on the back. I just—I've been so faithful. I have such a great disposition. I just—you know—I know all the arguments. Five minutes—they're going to get saved. I got this. No. We're all unworthy to serve Him. We're unworthy to serve Him. We're unworthy to serve Him we get to serve him because of grace we get to serve him because that's a gift to be able to serve God and what greater calling or gift could we have but to tell people about the riches of Jesus Christ but not only that I know I don't know about you guys but uh, have you ever woke up in the morning and be like man I am one lousy Christian <laughs> yeah join the club. Because the reality is none of us are worthy. So don't use that as an excuse not to serve God. You look in the mirror in the morning and go, oh man, God cannot use this mess. If it was up to you, you're right. If it was up to you, you're right. But it's not up to you. If God has saved you and redeemed you, he's also called you to serve him. He's also called you to be a steward of his grace. He's also given you the gift to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, yeah, we're all on a journey. We're all pursuing Jesus together. We have a long ways to go. But I tell you this, God wants to use you to reach your neighbors and the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not because you're so amazing, but because he's amazing. I can't fathom why God would want to use me, because I'm nothing without Jesus. I'm nothing without him. To be able to serve and to minister is a gift. We're all unworthy to serve. In 1 Corinthians 15, I already read that, didn't I? Did I? I didn't. Okay. This is the second time I preached the sermon, so who knows, I'm probably going to repeat the whole thing. Three times at this point, no. 1 Corinthians 15 says this in verse 8. And last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. He's so aware that he doesn't matter, that he himself doesn't matter. He's like, it doesn't matter who's the one who preached the sermon. It doesn't matter if I'm the one who preached the gospel when so-and-so got saved. It doesn't matter who's delivering the message. The point is the gospel's going forward. The gospel's going forward. It's not, here's Cross Point versus this church over there. Like, if they're preaching the gospel and people are getting saved, we celebrate that. We rejoice in sinners coming to Christ. It's not a competition. And Paul understands this. There's no competition here. It doesn't matter if it's me or so-and-so. If God's using someone to spread the gospel, hallelujah, praise the Lord. This is good news. He understands that we're all unworthy, and it's just God's message and God's work that we get to be a part of. Now, I can't skim over in verse 8. He talks about preaching among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, as I was trying to prepare and study to explain to you the unsearchable riches of Christ, it seems a bit absurd because they're unsearchable. It means that they're not fathomable, they're past being able to describe or finding out. So in other words, I can't articulate specifically all the riches of Christ. I can tell you some of them. I can give you kind of the basic idea. But no matter what I tell you, it's like a drop of water, like a tip of the iceberg, bigger than life. And so I will try my best to describe it to you, but it's going to be minuscule in comparison to what it actually is. In 1 Corinthians 4.1, um, no, in Colossians 2.3, it says this. In whom are hid, talking about Jesus, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And in 2 Peter 1.3, it says, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things, They're pertaining to life and godliness. These these words, all of both these verses that Jesus gives us all things pertaining to life. Everything that we have, everything that we get to experience and enjoy is all from him and beyond. He's everything. He has everything. It's all his. All means all. And all is greater than what I can describe, especially when we're talking about The creator of the universe. So like I said, I had a hard time putting this into words. But finally, as I was studying, I I came across someone who said it better than I could possibly say it. So I'm going to quote him. Because I can't put it in the words that he did. The Greek word translated unsearchable describes something that cannot be fully comprehended or explored. In other words, there is no limit to the riches of Christ. They are past finding out. Try as we might, we can never plumb the depths of Christ's worth. Paul describes some of these riches in Ephesians 1, 7-14, and Pastor Joel preached through this passage. Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, the knowledge of the mystery of his will, the message of truth, the sealing of the Holy Spirit, and the guarantee of our inheritance. These are spiritual riches with eternal benefits, and we cannot fully comprehend them. Jesus taught two short parables that emphasize the value of eternal life and the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Like, like a hidden treasure or a pearl of great price, admission to the kingdom is of uncalculable worth. And it is Jesus Christ who grants the admission. The unsearchable riches of Christ are on display in every believer's heart. The unsearchable riches of Christ cannot be fully traced out. In Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. So the riches of Christ include all that God is. The unsearchable riches of Christ are the glory of God, the truth of God, the wisdom of God, the life of God, and the love of God. In Christ, God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ, God has given us everything we need for a godly life. Christ's riches that He makes available to us are not material but spiritual. The unsearchable riches of Christ provide salvation to everyone who believes. We may be the worst of sinners, yet Jesus can forgive us and transform our lives. It is the gift that truly keeps on giving, as we are changed by God's Spirit into loving, happy, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and self-controlled people. King Solomon was a man of great riches and wisdom, and his fame spread throughout the known world dignitaries from other countries came to hear his wisdom and see his lavish display of wealth scripture says that solomon had no equal in the earth at that time Yet, for all that solomon's riches were not unsearchable they could be quantified the gold bars could be counted and he had no inexhaustible supply of silver besides that solomon's riches were only the temporal treasures of the world Jesus, as Luke says, is the, is greater than Solomon. The treasures of Christ are inexhaustible. They are unsearchable and they are forever. Like I said, this is literally the tip of the iceberg. Just a drop of into what in the world is the riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches. That's the beginning. That's like a Less than a summary. Paul was called by Christ to know the unsearchable riches of Christ for God's glory and to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ for God's glory. The parable mentioned by this commentator in Scripture was about a man who finds a treasure in a field. He's so overwhelmed he can't believe it. He said, this is everything I could ever want or ever need. It's it's right here in this field. And he buries it in the field. He runs into town. (laughs) Oh, you won't believe what I found in that field. You can't believe what I found in that field. And he goes home and he sells his house. He sells everything that's in it. He sells the dog. He sells his TV. He sells his car. He sells all but one of his tunics. Thankfully. <laughs> he sells everything he has and spends all and empties his savings account, takes all of it and buys a field. And people must be thinking what an idiot! He sold all his most valuable possessions for a field. Because they didn't see what was buried there. And to the world, and to unbelievers around us, we must look like some idiot digging a hole in a field. Homeless. <laughs> What they don't realize is that we discovered everything we could ever possibly want. Everything we could possibly ever need. The unsearchable riches of Christ. I don't need anything else. I'll sell it all because I found Jesus. I found his kingdom. I found these riches. I don't need anything else. I have all that I need. Because in him all things consist. I can't search these riches out for you. And you can't do it for me. We have to dive in and walk with God and walk in scripture to be able to experience and enjoy and know the riches of Christ. And every day and every year of my life, I discover how much more the sacrifice of Christ meant. And how much more I needed it and understand all that He is doing and has done and will do for me. I can't get it all. Like, it's like I'm trying to fill up a cup and I can't ever fill it all up because it just keeps coming. The riches of Christ. Paul used stronger words, though, than this parable, in my opinion, because he's like, yeah, I sold all that I had and bought this field. And Paul, of course, Damascus Road. he walked away from everything. From his friends, from his religion, from his wealth because he found it all in Jesus. And here's what Paul had to say about this in Philippians 3, verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung. That I may win Christ and be found in Him. Not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ. The righteousness which is of God by faith. That I may know Him. And the power of His resurrection. And the fellowship of His sufferings. Be made conformable unto His death. If by any means I might attain of the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained... Either we already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Everything that I thought was valuable, everything that I thought was worthy of my time, everything that I thought was important, I walked away from all of it to pursue Christ. My greatest riches, my greatest joy, my everything, my all-in-all. I don't need anything else. I don't need all those other people in my life. I just need Jesus. He didn't just say I walked away from these things. He didn't just say these things were lost in his life. He said it was dung. In the Greek, that means poop. I don't like how that looks. I don't like how that smells anymore. Everything that was important to him was no longer important to him anymore. Is that how we're pursuing Christ? Is He our everything? Is He our greatest joy? Our greatest love, our greatest riches, to where everything else just looks like dung to us. He goes on to say, like, if I have to be persecuted, if I have to die, that's okay as long as I get you. Is that how we are pursuing Christ? Do we really believe that he is our unsearchable riches? There's so much more we could talk about that, and I encourage you guys to continue that conversation in your groups and, honestly, the rest of your lives of pursuing Christ as if he is our unspeakable joy, our unsearchable riches. Verse 9, And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hidden God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, To the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Verse 10 is an incredible verse, and we don't have time to talk about it. So we're going to move on to the next one. Um, That's a half-truth. We are short on time, but I didn't get to finish studying out verse 10. And so I don't want to lead you the wrong way on verse 10. So maybe we'll do it some other time. But it's a really powerful verse from as far as I got on it. Verse 11, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. It was God's sovereign plan before the foundation of the world. It was his sovereign plan for Jesus to come to suffer and die intentionally. It was always the plan to enter his own creation, to call sinners to repentance, and to redeem the church to himself. That was always the plan. Before we ever existed, or our parents ever existed, before Adam and Eve ever existed, before any human life existed, he always planned to come and redeem you. I recently heard... Someone say in an article or something that um, Jesus is the ultimate example of social injustice. I don't think they're reading the same Bible as me. Because I'm sorry, Jesus didn't die on accident. Jesus didn't die because of an unjust system. Jesus died because he chose to before the foundation of the world. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a circumstance. It was the plan all along. And the reality is, is sometimes we think once again that we're worthy of something. It's like, oh yeah, God saw me and how worthy I was to save. No. No, He didn't. He sees us as He should see us. Sinners worthy of condemnation. And yet the God who is holy and the God who is just... And the God who is all-powerful, in His infinite wisdom and in His infinite grace and love, chose to redeem us. It's not because I'm good, but because He is good. Because He is good. We talked about this in Ephesians chapter 1, as pastor preached... Starting in verse 4, "...according as He had chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace." that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. So God in his infinite wisdom and love chose to redeem us. He chose to enter creation. He chose to call us sinners repentance. He chose to redeem the church. We're nothing without him. Thank God for his grace. If you don't understand the significance of this, Psalms eight, verse three and four says this, when I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? If you look at us in the light of creation, we're nothing, we're a speck of dust. he thought about us. He doesn't have to think about us. He, He doesn't have to care about us at all. So we get used to it and think, yeah, God loves me. God, like, no, he doesn't have to. He chooses to. Not because I have something to bring to the table. God chose to love me before I was born can't comprehend that. But once again, this is another piece of the puzzle of the unsearchable riches of Christ that I can never fathom or understand His immense love for us. In verse 12, as we're wrapping up these last two verses, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of Him. We can talk to God. We can boldly go before the throne of grace. We can talk to God because of what Jesus has done. We call it the priesthood of the believer. We don't have to go to a priest. We don't have to go to some other person to be able to talk to God. Because of Jesus, we can go directly to him in prayer. And if Jesus has truly captured our hearts and we're pursuing him as if these are unsearchable riches, why wouldn't we talk to him? And if we understand that to be able to minister, to be able to be a steward, to be able to share the grace of God in our lives, it has to be empowered by God. It's not our message, right? It's God's message. So if we're going to live on mission, empowered by God, we better go to Him in prayer. We better be dependent on Him. We spend so much time talking with each other or posting and arguing, and I get it. Every four years, election cycles create lots of dialogue. That's how it's always been, and that's probably how it will always be. Elections bring out the best in us. Someone recently said, if we, what if we spend as much energy on talking about politics as we do talking with and about God? And what difference would that make in our churches? It's not that we don't talk about politics. It doesn't mean that we don't vote. Please, everybody go vote. <laughs> but we're fighting for a different kingdom. We're pursuing God's kingdom and his unsearchable riches. And this world has nothing to offer. Talk to God. Talk with God. Do that instead of starting arguments with your friends on, about politics or all those different things. Talk with God. Trust trust me, you're not going to change your friend's opinion anyway. So enjoy time with God. Verse 13, Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. And this is where we're going to wrap up. Paul says this, man, I understand. I've been in prison for a while now. I've been stoned. I've been persecuted. But he tells his church, he's like, but don't lose heart over it. It's not, you know, it's fine. (laughs) Like, don't let that stress you out. God's using it for his glory. God is showing you his glory through me. He's using this. I think of missionaries and of believers all around the world who are being persecuted for their faith. Um, Brother Johnny, who was here last week and on Wednesday, said that one of his good pastor friends has been in prison now for seven months. My first thought isn't, man, look how God's using him. My first thought is like, man, that really stinks. Paul here is like, no, like this is great. God's using this. But honestly, my initial thought was, what trials or difficulties would I be willing to go through for the glory of God and for the spread of the gospel? Keep in mind, Paul's willing to die if that's what it takes to know Christ more. So what's a trial? What's in prison? Puts everything into this perspective. Because if, tr- if, if I've truly been captured by Jesus, and he is my unsearchable riches, my unsearchable joy. And if I'm pursuing him and everything else is done then, so what if there's some difficulties or trials? Because I have Jesus and he redeems everything. He makes everything worth it. It's not that the trials aren't real. It's not that the difficulties can't be real. It's that within that difficulty and within the trial you have everything that you need because you have Jesus. And I hope for me and for you and for all of us and Christians around the world that we can pursue Christ so deliberately that he is our everything and everything else is nothing i pray that we can pursue him we're all on a journey of pursuing him and i pray that we all can pray to pursue him more because we're all holding on to idols in our heart We're all holding on to riches. We're all holding on these little things that we think are important. We're so easily distracted. And in those moments, it's because we don't believe he's everything. We don't believe he is our unsearchable riches. We don't believe that in the moment. I pray that God can transform our heart, capture our hearts again, that we pursue him above all else.